Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Welcome to Radio Islam. I'm your host, Tariq el and we are coming to you from the wonderful city of Chicago, Illinois, uh, just a few feet away from the elevated trains of the Loop, downtown Chicago. Uh, we have been doing this for the past, it's hard to believe, it's been 15 years. Now, if you haven't already done so, make sure that you are connected to us on social media or on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You'll find us at Radio Islam USA. That's at Radio Islam USA. And also take a moment to make sure you are subscribed to the podcast. We are on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, and TuneIn. And you'll find us at that same username at Radio Islam USA. All right, Radio Islam family. Uh, today, I am joined by the impressive one. That's right. The impressive one, Ibrahim Baig, political scientist, thinker of deep thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> Student of political <laughs> science. Well, I mean, at some point, you know, you just got to claim Hopefully. It. Yeah, I mean. yeah, inshallah. Well, assalamu alaikum, bro. Alaikum assalam. Good to be back. It's been a minute. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, uh, you know, we just pick up where we left off. Right. So, uh, we have... We, we got a lot. To, we have more more to talk about than time uh, to do it. So let's yeah. just jump right in. If for those of you who are paying attention to the news, if you're paying attention to the uh, to our Twitter president, um, then you probably have been appalled. I would hope you're appalled that you're shocked and offended by his recent tweets over the weekend, where he told uh, it was. The, the, the tweets were directed towards uh, four women uh, that we have uh, in the legislation now, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Ilhan Omar, Rashida Tlaib, and Ayanna Presley. So he says, why don't you go back to your own country? That's, well, that's let's the, read the short the gist of it. Right. Yeah. Give us the whole thing. Okay. So we'll read the tweet. Now, before I read that, I would just say um, on my time at Radio Islam, the episodes that I've been on the air with you, I think I've tried to convey this sense, um, the outlook that I have, that I'm not against, uh, I'm not anti, you know, right or whatever. I'm not like vehemently just trying to attack Trump and like everything that he does. Sure. I'm trying to be objective. I'm trying to be neutral as much as possible, which, as we've mentioned before, doesn't mean um, being silent when something wrong happens. Right. Okay. But then something like this comes out, this this racist tweet comes out, and people have said that these are racist tropes in the tweet, and uh, I disagree. Okay. I think it's actually uh, white supremacy pretty much laid bare and made plain for the whole world to see. Mm-hmm. Um, this is not just a trope. This is just blatant racism. Right. And uh, the, uh, the audacity of some people uh, that I've heard in recent months I think the, their argument is kind of along the lines of, well, if they didn't use the word racist, R-A-C-I-S-T, then how can you say it's racist, you know, uh, which is really nonsensical. Yeah. But anyway, um, I think it's, like I said, it's worth reading the, the actual text of the tweet. Mm-hmm. So here we go. Uh, President Trump tweets out, so interesting to see, quote unquote, progressive Democratic Congresswomen who originally came from countries whose governments are a complete and total catastrophe, the worst, most corrupt and inept anywhere in the world, if they even have a functioning government at all, 
now loudly and viciously telling the people of the United States, the greatest and most powerful nation on earth, how our government is to be run. Why don't they go back and help fix the totally broken and crime-infested places from which they came? Then come back and show us how, it's how it is done. These places need your help badly. You can't leave fast enough. I'm sure that Nancy Pelosi would be very happy to quickly work out free travel arrangements. Exclamation mark. Yeah, white supremacy laid bare. Laid bare. I mean, what does what, it what mean is, when you tell someone go back to your country? What does that mean? You know, right. like, what, what, if that's not racism, what is? Yeah. By the way, uh, worth noting, which everyone knows already, three out of the four congressmen he's referring to were born in this country. So when I heard this statement, I, I thought about it. And I thought about everything that's going on. We have the dr backdrop of uh, crisis at the border and, you know, many, many things going on. Mm -hmm. But I just tried to look at this statement in itself and the implications that it has for our country. And I came to the conclusion that it's damaging in three main ways. Mm -hmm. And it really erodes the fabric of our country in three ways, which are... One, of course, the the most obvious layer is racism. And the second is um, it points at a corrupted form of patriotism. And the third way is that I, it, it points at um, a rupture in the way the country is governed. Start, start with the third one. Start with the third one? Well, yeah. no, let's start with the first one. <laughs> well, the, fir the first one. Go, go, go to the first one. Well, uh, let's both talk that, about that. Okay. So, <laughs> what, what, how did that make you feel? Okay, I'll. I'll the, the third one really, really hit me. Right? Okay. The first one, in terms of. Now, the second was a corrupted form of patriotism. Yeah. And the first one was racism. Mm -hmm. Well, racism is kind of. It's kind of hacked the. You know, we've, we've been talking about racism forever. Uh, doesn't look like it's going anywhere right now. It's certainly not in this moment. Trump has been referred to as a, at one point as a closeted racist, mm -hmm. uh, now much more of an of an obvious one. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, it's not really too much I can add to that. I mean, yes, he's he's obviously fanning the uh, the, the, the flames of, of of a base, you know, whether you know it's a minority of the country, still he's fanning the flames of, of racism for them. So yeah, that's. I mean, I was actually willing to give him, to try to give him the benefit of the doubt for a while as just someone who is very old and privileged and just out of touch with mm. reality, out of touch with people who are not like him. Yeah. But um, <laughs> it becomes harder and harder to give that any kind of benefit of the doubt. You know, what do I do now? People are basically telling you, go back to your country, the country that you're not actually from. Right. You know, you're born here. Um, so... The, the I, I guess it points to this notion, which is racist, that you're not truly an American. You're an American citizen, but you're not really an American unless you're white, right? Unless your great-grandfather or whatever people were born here. Um, yeah. Like, like you, could be, you could be born here, but you're not really an American unless you're white. That's I don't what think it it's white. I don't think it's... I, mean, I think it is... Right, but I think more importantly, it's the coded language of American values. Mm -hmm. 
right? To accept American values means to accept a particular world order. And not only a world order, but to accept a particular hierarchy within, uh, within our nation. So that, to me, is probably the most, um, that's, that's the real nugget in there for me. It's the, it's the value system that they want you to have. I think you're actually going into number two, which we talked about, <laughs> is a corrupted form of patriotism in which um, questioning the country or questioning what's going on in the country, questioning the policies of the government by anyone is uh, misconstrued or deliberately misinterpreted as being unpatriotic or as hating America. Um, if you've been paying attention to what people are saying about Congresswoman Omar, um, she's day and night accused of hating America and trying to take down America um, and being ungrateful to this country, the United States, that gave her refuge. Um, and it's extremely disturbing mm -hmm. for people to equate questioning of policy and questioning of uh, problems, pointing out problems that our country has with hating America. Right, right. You know, it's funny, we just, we just a couple of weeks ago, um, observed as a nation, Independence Day, mm -hmm. right? Now, of course, there's always gonna be conversation. Uh, there's a, there's a, there's, there's sub-levels of conversation around independence, uh, particularly when it comes to people of color, uh, African-Americans in particular, and how that relates to, and they bring up Frederick Douglass and his, um, what does the fourth have to do with the slave? You know, that whole, uh, that speech. But that's all rooted. That 4th of July, the uh, Independence Day, is all rooted in that stand the founding fathers took. And really saying that we don't, we don't agree with the way we, uh, we're being treated. I mean, it was dissent, right? And that was, that's what we're celebrating. We're celebrating dissent. Mm -hmm. Declaration of Independence. You know, you have a you have a right responsibility to push back against oppressive forms of government. You know, either to to check them, and if necessary, to overthrow them. Right? We never want to have the overthrow conversation. Right? We're not trying to, you know, push that. Right. But today, for anybody to think that you call yourself an, to to call yourself an American, and to be unaware of the history of how the United States came into existence, the spirit of dissension you know, and resistance. And then to look at people today who are, who, who dissent, you know, along lines of justice and, you know, equality, and to say that somehow they're not American, to me it just kind of, it, it just represents this lack of, uh, like the, the, the inheritance, the legacy has been lost on an entire generation. Uh, uh, people who just, you know, who, who don't get an idea, you know, that actually started what we have today. By the way, I wonder what these people who are against dissent are going to do if uh, a Democratic president gets elected. <laughs> are they going to stop dissenting? I don't know. I doubt it because they didn't do it before. Um, um, but, yeah, like you said, dissent is something important, but I, I don't even think we're at necessarily at the level of dissent. It's just it's something... Uh, even more restrictive we're talking about just disagreeing with certain policies yeah. you know um and, and being alarmed over what's for example happening at the border with people being mistreated and and 
put in cages, etc. Um, just the notion that you have to agree with whatever is happening in America, all of it, in order to be a, a true American. So first of all, you have to be white, and you have to agree with the government, basically. Now, I actually separate, in, in what little I've studied of political science, I've learned to separate, in my opinion, between love for a country and love for a government, right? Um, you don't have to be loyal to the government as much as you have to be loyal to your country. That's a different thing, right? When we say country, what are we talking about? We're talking about broader ideas, the people, right? Mm. The land. When we say government, these are uh, people who are elected and appointed by elected officials to basically just manage the affairs of the country, right? The government is not the country, being loyal to the government is not tantamount to being loyal to the country or vice versa. But doesn't our government represent our country? The government is elected and appointed in order to manage the country. I know, but what I'm saying is that our government, mm -hmm. our governmental system, our system of representation is, is unique um, around, the, around the world, right? I mean, you look at the... Well, kind of. I mean, there, there's some unique points. I mean, people go to the polls and they elect people that are going to represent them and stuff. Mm -hmm. But I mean, we've got this uh, bicameral, uh, you know, structure. We've got the checks and balances, you know, between the three branches of government, um, and that's supposed to be the representation of the republic, right? That's supposed to do the will of the republic. Mm -hmm. So. It's kind of difficult for me to separate the the republic, which is the people, which is the country, from our government because our right the freedoms that are afforded that we feel are afforded us or protected. It's also incumbent upon the government to act in accordance with the constitution, right? Mm -hmm. So it's hard for me to separate the two. I would say that. Um for example, if the government does something wrong, we will condemn the government, right? Sure. Doesn't mean we're condemning the entire country as a whole, you know? When we elect peop new people to to change out, switch out the government, the way the country is run, doesn't mean we're, you know, having a revolution, you know, changing the entire country. The government, uh, there's people who, no, I understand what you're saying, that maybe it's a fine line, but, for example, look at S Snowden. What did Snowden do? He betrayed the government yeah. out of loyalty to his... To the people, to the country. People, yeah. right, his country. There is a way to distinguish between the two, I think. Yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. Um, going a little bit further, when I think about his, his, uh, his tweets, his attacks, what it also shows when I mention that there is a... I think for the for the masses that there is a a divide that exists between them, uh, between us and the history. I mean, between us and just some of the the simple things that, like, how many people, how many folks do you think the percentage of people would you say know what the Bill of Rights are? Like all ten amendments. Yeah, could name all ten amendments. Um, you say it's ten, half. Ten. Half the people? You think half the, the, you know, half the people, if you were to just walk outside and ask half no, the people, most no. people could say. No. I would I'd probably agree. I think it's probably like maybe a quarter. Less than that, probably 10%. Yeah. 
I mean, but when you think about that, not knowing, having that history, not that historical footing, why would we expect that our same, these same people would have an understanding of our, of, of actions that have been taken, uh, that have taken place on our behalf around mm -hmm. the world that have impacted other governments, you know, other, other people, right? Mm -hmm. And then have made it so that those people could not stay where they were at and where they wind up at. They wind up coming here, mm -hmm. right? Because this was, you know, this is where the, the fire is coming from. The, you know, the, America's not burning, right? We have other places that have been impacted. But to mention one of those places, like you talked about, um, so Somalia, right? You know, uh, Representative uh, Omar, she's from originally from Somalia. I wonder how many people are aware of America's involvement in Somalian uh, government, mm. right? In, in in a country that had a democratic election and was on its way to to doing what democratic countries do, right? Uh, operating autonomously. Somehow that ended rather abruptly, and then they have been they have been mired in. Uh, just, just turmoil. Since that point, I wonder how many Americans are aware of our involvement in that situation. That's just one. Yeah, we're talking about the crisis at the border too, right? What happened in the countries in Central America? Let's go back to NAFTA. Yeah. All right. Let's go back to North American Free Trade Agreement and see how that impacted. Um, all of those uh, Central American uh, nations, their government, their economies. Yeah, well, NAFTA impacted Mexico specifically, but in Central American countries where people are escaping from right now, mm -hmm. there was um, regime change, which was a direct result of U.S. policy and U.S. involvement in the region. So those governments who took over, you know, that led to a chain of events in which the place became so unsafe that now people are trying to escape and come over here. Yeah. And we see how they're being treated. Yeah. Now, for, and you recognize, like, for us, what the conversation that you and me are having right now, mm -hmm. people accuse us of hating America. <laughs> sure, sure. But what is it, what does a love for America look like? All right? What, what does that really mean? Because before there was, before there was a United States of America, I mean, as we know it today, mm -hmm. right? You had these these thirteen colonies, right? Then you had the states join together, um, independent states, not centralized. Why did they do what they did? They did what they did because they felt like they weren't free, mm -hmm. right? They didn't do what they well. <laughs> at the same time, they were uh, they did maintain slaves, right? Right. So you had this barbaric institution of slavery going on where they were oppressing other folks while fighting for their own freedom. Yeah, you know, life is like that sometimes. But you like to think that if you're fighting, you're fighting for, for justice, you're fighting for freedom. That's kind of an American ideal, is freedom, mm -hmm. justice, and liberty. Well, I, I honestly, I like the fact that there's no litmus test about, you know, what's your love for America? What is your percentage of love for America or whatever, you know? Yeah. It's about loyalty. We, I can say I love my country, and I do. Mm -hmm. um, not necessarily the government at this time, right. but um, 
I, I like the fact that there's no litmus test which can be used to exclude people or measure people's, you know, uh, uh, quantify people's love for the country or something like that. Um, I think it's something, I like to think of as something very, very broad, much more broad that is not easy to measure or quantify, um, but more of a feeling. Yeah, but see, we're all about grand gestures. If I mean, if there's anybody that's about grand gestures, I think it's, uh, it's Americans. So we have the flyovers, you know, with our uh, Air Force jets. You know, we've got, uh, you know, the parades and we're standing up, you know, with the anthem and you gotta, we have to recognize our service people. We are, we are very much about outward gestures. Hmm. I mean, those things have very little to do with real patriotism, right? There's nothing on the line for me as an individual by standing up and holding my hand over my heart over the Pledge of Allegiance. Mm -hmm. Right, but there is something that's on the line when we stand up and say, as Americans, um, as citizens, we should have, you know, national health care. Mm -hmm. Right, something something's actually on the line with that. Right, I mean, because you could be, you might go to a higher tax bracket. Uh, there's a whole industry that could be impacted by that. Right, um, fighting against police brutality, fighting against. Uh, immigration. Let's go back to immigration now. The way that we have uh, these detention facilities, there's something on the line now, standing mm -hmm. up and speaking on behalf of these people, because that means the more of these people come in, because situations are jacked up in Honduras and Guatemala and all these other uh, countries, the browner America gets. I mean, that, that means you got a new a new crop of voters. Right, which means that now your government is going to look different. There's a lot more on the line right now to stand up for freedom and justice now and speaking on those issues mm -hmm. than it was than it is for the grand gestures that we associate with patriotism. Yeah. How about we take it back to faith, right? In our faith, mm -hmm. we are charged with the duty of enjoining good and forbidding evil. Right. Um how how would you react in your own family in any of our families if uh love was equated with eternal approval and, and condoning everything versus um <laughs> when it work right so when you love your family members they do something good you encourage them if they do something wrong you try to guide them and convince them to do something right Right. You know, to bring them to the right path. Um, why not the same principle for our country? Right. Someone who truly loves this country, their country, when they see something good, the government is doing something good. The country is going in a good direction. Then we celebrate that when something is wrong. Then we want our country to improve itself by correcting that wrong. Yeah. That's, I think, a very, if there is some kind of litmus test, it should be something like this. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you on that. And I also think that at some point, because we have a global economy, global communication, um, and even global, you know, there's this idea that values now, they are trickling over from one community to another. I mean, on a, on, once again, on a, on a global scale, at some point, somebody 
and I think this is where the United States is situated best to be able to do it, being one of the youngest um, uh, uh, governments you know, in, in the world. Somebody has to say that I love humanity more, right? Humanity has to be mm -hmm. the, um, it has to be the top, right? It's got to be at the top of, of, of the list. Can't just be, I love my country, because to your point, if you love your country and you approve, and, and uh, love means approval, then, you know, you'll allow for all type of uh, just travesties to be committed in your name just out of love but if you're thinking about humanity and i think those are the issues that we're looking at most you know the the the, the ice issues the um violence all these easy really these are all issues that are about humanity mm -hmm. so i think if we can refocus ourselves and and move to that point where that becomes a representation of what it means to be an american then i think that could be something you could say i, I love because it's bigger than just geography sure now before we get to the third point that we were, i was going to mention yeah um i wanted to share a quick story that i heard on uh one podcast it was a podcast i was listening to on youtube they had a guest on there uh i'm pretty sure it was like a liberal podcast but he had a guest on there and th this guest was an expert in roman history right um history of the roman republic and how the republic ended and this new empire started right mm -hmm. and so they're talking about i think the message he was trying to get at was um at the end of the roman republic just right before the time of julius caesar julius caesar comes and he becomes the dictator um i guess more or less on the premise that the the country has become so violent the the system of government people are like killing each other and, and this political violence is happening and people are lashing out so that this strong leader needs to emerge and basically like rescue everyone, even if that means getting rid of this um, quasi-democratic system that they had, right? Which was the republic system right. with representatives. Um, even if it means kind of putting that on hold or, or muzzling that to a large extent, that that's what needs to be done in order to save us from this political violence that's taking over the country. So, and I was always, as a kid, fascinated with Roman history and ancient Greek history, and which is another conversation. I don't know why, I just was. Um, so I'm a sucker for that kind of thing. <laughs> but they were trying to compare it to where we're at as a country right now. Um, our republic. Are we in the early stages of witnessing that kind of political violence? Right. And he said he said at the moment we're not there because political violence, as it was taken and it was happening in that form, was basically um, elected officials being killed by each other. You know, so alhamdulillah, thank God we're not at that point yet. Yeah. But are we in the early uh, beginnings of something like that ha starting to take shape? You know, uh, I think that's a, a legitimate question. Um definitely worth asking which we see political violence starting to happen we see threats of violence happening for example against congressman uh, omar right. right um what could be construed as other politicians even encouraging people to to uh, take violence against her and, and stuff like that um so it's certainly worth debating as a society are we on that same path 
to to that will set up the level of political violence which mandates someone coming in like napoleon or whoever and being like i have to rescue you people through this authoritarian form of government otherwise you know there there's no there's no future with people politicians killing each other and so on so that ushers in that's the end of the republic and the beginning of a dictatorship or an empire um so that was something that really made me think you know um number three the number the third implication of the president's recent tweets that i was talking about really builds on the second one that we talked about the corrupted form of patriotism where you're not allowed to question and it's an extension of that and um it is to look at who he was actually saying this to right um the notion that you're not allowed to criticize what the government the executive branch is doing at risk of being labeled unpatriotic but who is he actually saying this to he's saying this to other members of the government elected officials themselves we're not talking about people on the street who have you know no say in the government right. directly we're talking about people the very representatives from the legislative branch who have been elected by the people to go and take part in this governing process so for the president the executive branch at large to be um sowing the seeds of hatred against people against members of the government members of congress who are criticizing the policy of the executive branch this is something to me where i see this as distinct from the second one um a built off of the second one but something extreme and more even distinct from that and incredibly alarming because who else is supposed to question the government who else is supposed to be a check on the executive branch if not for the legislative branch, elected members of congress i mean who else do you expect to to question you who else do you expect to criticize you isn't that their job isn't that their exact their, their exact job description right to represent the people and if necessary be a check against these other two branches of government if that role just living up to the role that they were elected to to play becomes a form of unacceptable dissent in the eyes of the president this is something that tears at the fabric of the, the our madisonian democracy mm. Mm. that's a lot there what comes to mind as I'm, as I'm thinking about that is we have to look at violence differently, not just as in bloodshed, right, physical harm. Some folks listening may have heard poverty as violence, as a form of violence. And by that, the idea is that poverty, it takes away, and actually there's references to this in the, in the Quran, you know, talks about, you know, Satan, um, he calls you to to, uncon, uh, to unseemly conduct, yes. to immoral conduct. Yeah, the fashia, right? Yeah. And he calls you to that through, you know, because your fear. He threatens poverty. you. He threatens you with poverty and calls you to fahisha, uh, which is, um, how would you describe it in English? Uh, like, like corrupt conduct. Immoral. Yeah, you know, immoral or um, shameless the, conduct. Yeah. yeah. So what it's doing is really taking away from your humanity, right? And that, that is one of the 
uh, effects of, of poverty, right, and, and forced poverty, uh, is that often impoverished people tend to turn on one another, right, to, to have their needs met. Uh, and it affects the morality, affects the, the way they, you know, their, their spiritual center. So the president's words, they're not just inflammatory. They're also violent in mm-hmm. the sense that they take away from the perception of the target's humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, you think about, remember we had the, the caravans that was coming, and he called them, I think, an infestation or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, the yeah. 7,000 or yeah, so. Yeah, certainly there's yeah. a lot of dehumanizing rhetoric. And that in itself, we don't see that as violence, mm-hmm. but it is. It's, it, there's a, especially to those people who are already predisposed to look at those, at those, the, the target of those comments as less than, mm-hmm. right? It's it's violent. It takes away from their humanity. It makes it that much easier for them to move from words to physical action, mm-hmm. right? They've given the opportunity. So it's the same thing. That's what we're seeing right now. So to so you'd compare that. Those kind of words to someone, someone who defends those kind of words, saying, "Oh no, that's not violence." To some, you would compare that to someone saying, for example, uh, he didn't use the word "racist," so how could it be racist? <laughs> I, I honestly don't even know how to respond to that. They just sound so ridiculous. That sounds so ridiculous. I don't even know how to respond to that. That's, that's yeah, whatever. That that's a that's a nut job talking. Um, but you know, I agree. I agree with you. Um, certainly. Uh, as far as not only being something that can cause violence with just the right spark, you know, yeah, uh, it's powder keg, powder keg type of comments, but actually, um, words can be violent. Yeah, that's what you're saying, right? Yeah, words can be violent. They can have the effects, right? And what is the effect of right? You think about violence. You think about physical harm, bloodshed. It, it changes the it changes the the, the body. Right there's a response to it, and those words have a an impact, you know, on, on the hearer, on the listener. They have an impact, so yeah, it, it's yeah they can be violent. It's a form of violence. Remember when we saw uh, Fahrenheit 11.9? Yeah, and how Michael Moore was talking about German media and propaganda, and how leading up to you know, his consolidation of power and leading up to the concentration camps and all of that, there was this demonization of the Jewish um, citizens of Germany. Mm-hmm. You know, all all this propaganda. That was a form of violence. It wasn't just, you know, it wasn't racist. It, was, it wasn't just racism. It was a form of violence, taking away their humanity, making it that much easier for people to accept physical harm uh, to them later on so Hmm. i don't think it's something that we should sleep on and i don't think it's something that um that we can endure honestly to uh, to the point about the podcast you're listening to Hmm. um yeah we may not be at the point right now where we have elected officials being gunned down and you know uh you know thank thank a lot for that but given another four years give give this guy another four years in office to continue talking the way he does, continue with those violent statements, and see what the impact of that, of what that is. That may honestly it may take us somewhere, you know, somewhere, yeah. somewhere else. 
a, a really dark place if we were not already in a, in a dark enough place. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're on the path. Where does that path lead? It leads somewhere, right? Yeah. We don't know exactly where it leads. And we're also not so fatalistic that we say, you know, there's no way to change the path that we're oh, on no. either. But we're on a path right now. There's a certain trajectory. Where does that lead? It doesn't appear to be anywhere good. No, and that's why, you know, this didn't start on necessarily politically uh, about the election. But I think that's why this uh, 2020 election is, is particularly important for us right now. We'll survive. That's just what we do. Uh, and there have been worse situations around the world and in history. But I don't want to go through that <laughs> if we don't have to. Mm -hmm. Okay, should we close by reading the response tweet that President yes. Trump did? Yes. So President Trump sends a tweet, which originally which we read. There's a, a, a reaction to it, uh, a backlash from the Democratic side, mostly silence from the silence and just kind of a very restrained response mm -hmm. from the Republican side. So then he tweets another tweet, I think uh, this morning, I believe, early this morning. So should we read that? Yeah, yeah. Okay, a couple of tweets. He says, When will the radical left congresswoman apologize to our country, the people of Israel, and even to the office of the president for the foul language they have used and the terrible things they have said? So many people are angry at them and their horrible and disgusting actions. And then... About an hour later, he tweets again, If Democrats want to unite around the foul language and racist hatred spewed from the mouths and actions of these very unpopular and unrepresentative congresswomen, it will be interesting to see how it plays out. I can tell you that they have made Israel feel abandoned by the U.S. All right, that, that is a terrible way for us to leave because <laughs> we, we, could talk, we could talk another hour just on that. Yeah. Um, but it's strange to see how he tried to turn it into like a sob story for Israel. Like, what does that have to do with it? <laughs> yeah, what did, where did that come from? Uh, totally. But this is, and and folks who criticize him, uh, their criticisms will simply be taken as further criticism, right? Nothing mm -hmm. new. Um, that he does not reflect. That he just doubles down. He won't apologize. He, you know, he's not going to take being checked, you know, to heart. Um, it's pretty sad. I mean, and that's that's probably one of his responses. Uh, very, very mm -hmm. simple. Yeah, just it's real. Yeah. And what is this racist behavior that he's referring to that's coming from the people that he just criticized? That's coming from the congresswomen. He had the the foul language and racist hatred spewed from the mouths and actions of these very unpopular and under and unrepresentative congresswomen. I don't know what he's referring to. It's hard to respond to that. I remember it's, it's you don't know what he's talking about. I don't know what he's talking. I remember when uh, Rashida Tlaib first got elected. Yeah. She said something like, "Oh, we got to impeach the MF or something right. like that." Oh, when Ilhan. Um, uh, Omar, when she said uh, the whole, it's all about the Benjamins. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, that was that a day. long time ago. Yeah. Um, I don't think Ayanna Presley has said anything. Yeah. I don't recall mm -hmm. Alexandria uh, Ocasio Cortez saying anything. No. So, 
I think the guy's living in his, in his own world. Hmm. Um, but, you know. Well, let me just close my thoughts with this. Okay. Um, we talked about the many reasons why this is alarming and how it damages our country, how it damages the fabric of the democracy, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, but one last thing that really is troubling to me and, and saddening to me is the fact that I know there are millions of people in our country who are cheering this on. They're happy and they're laughing at people like me um, and they are cheering on the president as he uh, partakes in this level of open racism. Yeah. I'll add that people get the leadership they accept. And that's often, I guess you could say, it's the leadership they deserve. I'd like to think that we deserve better than what we have um, because what we have What's the, the formal, what's the best way to say it? What we have sucks. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it just absolutely sucks. Uh, it goes against the ideas of pluralism. It goes against democracy. It goes against everything that makes, that we'd like to think makes America, even with all of the problems that it has, but that potential you know, city on the hill um, where people are still trying to come here. Mm-hmm. Even while we, we have these right-wing uh, uh, people denigrating immigrants and minorities and we have all these other things going on, people still see this as a place of opportunity, right, of relative safety. So if that's what we're actually going to be, then that means that we've got we to step up because I just on a personal note, I don't want four more years of this. <laughs> I just don't. But we'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh, those right. are some really, uh, really astute observations. Uh, and even though I wanted to start with number three, I'm glad we started at number one. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Always a pleasure. And dare I say, maybe we might still have you back at some point. Sure, I'd be glad to. Once All in a while. All right. right. Once in a while. Once in a while. We know it's going to be hard at work. <laughs> All right, Radio Sound family, we thank you all for joining us. Uh, I'm your host and producer, and uh, producers with me as well, uh, co-produced by Ibrahim Baik. Uh, our executive producer is Abdul Malik Mujahid. We remind you that the views expressed by the host and our guest are theirs and not to be taken as a representation of Sound Vision Foundation. Also, we want to thank our sponsor, Recycle Processes. And uh, with that, we're going to leave you as we greeted you. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Thank you.